When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Ooh, a spicy question. I <laughs> because love the it. writing is sort of everything, right? Like you kind of can fix plot holes, but if the yeah. writing is So some yeah. readers love that and some readers are like, but I wanted more of this. So it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of a gamble. Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. Today I'm lucky enough to be joined by two guests, both fantastical young adult authors in their own right, but who recently teamed up to co-curate A Taste of Darkness. It's Amy McCaw and Mia Kuznia. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hi, Jamie. Thank you for having us. Hi, thanks so much for having us. You guys are so welcome. <laughs> let's let's go straight into it with um, A Taste of Darkness, uh, an anthology series, uh, 13 stories, um, spooky, haunting, thrillery stuff, all YA, all by different authors, including yourselves. Which one of you has the better elevator pitch? Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> do, you, do you think? The thing is, I'm terrible at pitching. Even if the pitch is good, I could find a way to ruin it. Like I couldn't pitch the Mina books <laughs> until I met Kim Curran at an event and she pitches for a living to TV companies and she pitched the Mina books to me. And I feel like that's the only reason I got a book deal because she taught me how to pitch those books. Do you want me to have a go, Amy? <laughs> I mean, you can, I tell you what, you pitch you pitch your story and it'll give me time to think about how to pitch mine. Oh, I'm pitching my story. I thought I was pitching the <laughs> whole you? Oh, I mean, go for it. Jamie, what do you, what would you like? Would you like a story pitch or a anthology pitch? I'll take I'll take whatever you guys will give me. <laughs> okay. Well, the A Taste of Darkness is a YA horror anthology that has 13 wildly different but all creepy, spooky stories from a coven of 13 authors. And my story, The Wolf and the Witch is a Slavic-inspired retelling of Little Red Riding Hood with a very terrifying Baba Yaga in it. Mm, that's cool. I also love how you described it as a coven of authors. Yeah, unofficially, they've been calling us like the Council of Spooky Bitches, but um, <laughs> that's kind of more in private. So. <laughs> Recovered. Yeah, I don't know if the publishers would appreciate that on the on the cover. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not sure. <laughs> Brilliant. You see me as as a consummate professional, Jamie. Hear that pitch? You know, she's good, doesn't she? Shall I, shall I have a go at pitching mine now that Mia's done it? Go on, that's her, Amy. So mine's called the House with Teeth, and um, when I start talking about it with Mia, it was just a title, and I had no idea what this house was going to be, and I had to, I can start from the title and had to work back. Um, and it ended up being about a girl called Violet who is throwing a Halloween party for her 18th birthday. Um, but the house that she lives in um, has other plans for the party than Violet does. And things are about to take a really dark and spooky turn. Well, there you go. That I mean, there's two really great sort of uh, jumping off points for the, for the sort of thing that's in this book. And of course, there's 11 other stories by 11 other authors in it. Let's talk about the inception of this. Like, where who had the idea first who who spoke to who and was like oh let's do this well Mia and I message each other virtually every day and one day <laughs> I think we were talking about like just writing a book together was the initial it was like hey should we write a book together and then I said to Mia do you know what I've always wanted to do I've always wanted to do 
a YA horror anthology. And Mia is probably my least spooky friend in real life. But Mia was like, yes, let's do it. Um, and it turns out Mia is amazing at writing spooky things as well as all the beautiful, fantastical things that she writes as well. How did And Mia, you wanted to co-write something or you just wanted to do anything with Amy? <laughs> Um, I thought it would just be a lot of fun to begin with. I wasn't sure anything would, real would come of it, but it ended up with this amazing anthology. And yeah, it's been just a brilliant journey. I've enjoyed it so much. So once you two, you two have chatted and been like, oh, this is cool, let's do this thing. Um, at what point in that process do you sort of either speak to your agent or just speak to the like an edit- editor at your publishers and say, listen, we want to do this cool thing. Do you think it's going to work? Do you think that we can get this published? <laughs> I, I emailed my agent with a subject heading of, so I've had this crazy idea. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did similar to mine. I did similar to mine. You tell him what your agent said me, and I'll explain what all of you said to me. <laughs> um, yeah. My agent thought it was a great idea. Go for it. She already knew Amy's agent. So she was happy to work together with Amy's agent. And obviously, once we collated the whole kind of package, that's when it went out on submission. Last Halloween, I think. Um, yeah. It went very quickly. Yeah. It was literally on Halloween that it went out on submission. And we got the first offer that day. So it was amazing. Wow. But can I just add that all three of them, um, we they I tend to be a bit of a dreamer and both our agents and me were saying, look, manage your expectations. Anthologies can be a hard sell and don't get too excited. And it's nice to be right for once and to say, actually, I was right. Being a dreamer worked on this occasion. I think you need to be a bit of a dreamer to be an author anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was very pleased to be right on this because like Mia said, it's been so fun. I don't think I realised until we did our first event together with loads of the authors and I just looked down the line and thought, how many times do you get to write a book with so many friends? Like normally you're just doing it completely on your own. And we just, it felt like a really collaborative process, like people sharing ideas and then doing the events together. It's just been great. It feels really unique. Yeah, it's very cool. And it's, uh, so as we said, 13 authors, the spookiest number. Um <laughs> Lots of alumni from this podcast, actually, because we had, you have got Cynthia Murphy's on it, Rosie Talbot's on it, Catherine Foxfield's on it, and of course yourself, Amy. Um, but aside from the two of you each writing a, a story as part of it, you are also the co-curators. Now, what exactly does that mean? What does it entail as a role? Do you want to explain this on me or do you want me to jump in? I was waiting for you to talk. I don't yeah, mind. I <laughs> Yeah, I can explain if you want. Um, So we emailed our agents and they said that the best way to give this a good chance to get published was for both of us to write a really polished story, um, but to find however many other authors we wanted. And it was Mia's idea to to use 13 authors, the spookiest number, um, (laughs) which I thought was a great idea. Um, So we just started thinking of a list of people that we thought would be great. Some of them we were thinking a bit outside the box, like Louis is a good friend of both of ours hasn't written YA before, hasn't written horror before. We just had a feeling that she'd be good and that she'd want to do it. And then the people like Cynthia and Catherine, who I knew, who were more obvious choices that they, this is what they already write. So we came up with this list and we started contacting people. And the response was great, wasn't it, Mia? It was really lovely that people were enthusiastic right from the beginning. Oh, it was great. It was very heartwarming and it was really fun to sort of see their pitches for short stories come in and all the different ideas and yeah, it was great fun. Do you did you sort of get like a pitch of each of the sh- short stories before they actually wrote them? Yes, yeah. So we went 
out on submission with my short story and Amy's short story written in full and edited by our agents. But we went mm. out with just a pitch from all the other authors that were going to be included and kind of a general overview of things. That's how it went out in its little submission package. Okay. And did you guys do any kind of editorial on those pictures as in with the individual authors and be like, oh, we're, we're kind of trying to lean towards a certain arc or like a certain kind of way with this thing. So it's all kind of coherent or, or is it just sort of what they sent you? That's what went out on the pitch. We let them just use their imagination, to be honest. We just <laughs> with it. We, we gave them a brief in that it had to be, you know, this length and we wanted it to be creepy and spooky, but we weren't limiting in terms of genre or you know, themes or anything like that. We we just let them go for it, basically. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. We had to look at the pictures to just check that nothing sounded too similar and that we had a good spread. And it just naturally happened that way, that because I think the authors have got really diverse interests in what they wanted to write about, mm. it just somehow worked that we had everything from sci-fi to folk horror to, you know, fairy tale reimaginings. It ends up being a really good spread of stories. Okay. So you, you really just kind of said, uh, do you want to write this thing? Go absolutely wild. As long as there's like a sort of spooky element with it, do whatever you want. Yeah. Yep. And that's <laughs> how we ended up with taxidermy and creepy dolls and anything, anything the authors want to write about, you know, a creepy bride mannequin that may or may not be something more than she appears. Um, yeah, the authors really went for it. Is that, I mean, it must be so difficult when you have this different range of authors this, and this is published with Scholastic. Is there an, do you have like one editor that kind of goes through all the stories or does everyone sort of edit their own stuff to, to kind of as, as best they can? You guys said yours was edited by your agents, but was there then another editor that came in? Yes. Yes, it was edited to begin with by Yasmin Morrissey, who at the time worked for Scholastic and she was the one who bought the anthology on behalf of Scholastic. Um, and we went through the editorial process with her. Um, all the authors in- edited their, their short stories independently with Yaz. And then at the end, Amy and I kind of copy edited everything with Yaz. Um, so it was all coherent and we agreed on the story order and everything like that with our editor. And yeah. That must be. I imagine it's like very exciting for, for, for Yasmin, the editor, to, to do something like that, where it's so many different voices and stories at once. But also that must be very like, it's, it's a big task to be like, this is one book and there's 13 different authors writing in 13 different styles with 13 different like main characters. <laughs> yeah. And like Mia said, it's things like choosing the order is super important because you want the first story to feel quite representative of the anthology and to give people, if this, if you like this, this is going to be a book for you. And like choosing the last story was important because it's the note that you leave people on. And then the order within as well, we wanted to kind of spread out any stories that touched on similar things so that people weren't kind of just having one note um and things like uh, my story is set at halloween so that one didn't go first because we didn't want people to think it was just halloween anthology so lots of lots of thinking went into the order and um yeah i think mostly as kind of hit on a great order and then we went back and forth on the position of a few stories just to make it you know feel as coherent as it could well, it sounds like you guys had, a, this sounds like just a really fun project that you did with lots of your friends and then like sort of authors that you admire. Yeah, that's exactly it. We felt very lucky. 
<laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what a treat. Would either of you want to do something similar at some point in the future? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> how, how about you, Mia? Has, has, has any of it put you up or are you up for this again? No, definitely. It, I mean, I had great fun doing this. So, yeah, absolutely. So potentially the first of many anthologies. <laughs> I hope so. That would be amazing. <laughs> we talked a lot about Taste of Darkness. Uh, Taste of Darkness is not the only recent publication um, for, for you guys. As uh, Mia, you've had your latest novel, Upon a Frosted Star, that came out uh, in September. How, I mean, you had a very polished elevator pitch for A Taste of Darkness. How's your elevator pitch for uh, Upon a Frosted Star? <laughs> well, Upon a Frosted Star actually came out one week after A Taste of Darkness. So I was very busy. <laughs> <laughs> and it's my latest um, adult book. I say that to differentiate from my children's books. Um, sometimes when I say that to people not in publishing, I get you know, kind of a bemused reaction, but this is my <laughs> book for grown-ups. <laughs> and Upon a Frosted Star is like Swan Lake meets The Great Gatsby. It's set across the 1920s with all these great magical parties and there's an abandoned, mysterious manor house, a brooding artist and a mysterious ballerina that's host to these parties. It's another um, sort of magical retelling fairy tale style yes. thing with more ballet yes. stuff yes. and the cover is beautiful oh yes especially um i saw on your website the the sprayed edge version beautiful yes they've made such beautiful books um i love the design so much the the cover designer charlotte phillips she's just brilliant at her job um i love the covers she did for upon a frosted star and midnight never my other book as well Yes, the, the the two of them match very nicely together. So it look, would look very good on a bookshelf. They do, they do. I'm very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and Amy, you have some news as well. You recently revealed the cover for the third book in the Mina series, Mina and the Cult, which is coming out, is it April 24? Yes, April. It seems like ages away and suddenly it's, you know, it's only a few months. <laughs> it's quite scary. Is that is that going to wrap up? this the the mina series as a trilogy or will there be more after that it wraps up the trilogy um i'd always thought that i definitely wouldn't write any more and i'm not fully closing the door on that but this does wrap up the arc that i always wanted to tell i'm so thrilled i got to do it because when i pitched it to my agent i said i wanted to write three books and i knew what they were all about so Mm. it feels really nice that i've been able to actually finish the story that how many years ago now i'm just looking at seven years ago since i started on this journey of writing the mina books it's nice to yeah. finish it all off. Amazing. So I've got a few questions for for the two of you. We I know we touched on a bit of this um, before when you were on the podcast, but that was a long time ago, Amy. Maybe things have changed. Well, let's start with Amy, and then we'll and then we'll do Mia. Plotter or pantser? Both. I start off with the best <laughs> intentions. That I'm going to plot out a whole book, and it's going to be great. And then I get about halfway through and go, I don't know what happens at the end. I'm going to have to start writing this to figure it out. And I think that a lot of my writing comes from discovery. Um, mm-hmm. I think that some of my best ideas don't actually come until later in the editing process when I've written something. And sometimes as I'm writing it, I know it's wrong. And it's I've got a scene set in a really creepy location. And it's on it about its fourth draft. And I know that I'm really close now. And I'm I'm getting really happy with it. But sometimes I just have to write that rubbish draft. And then I can improve it. And then that's when the really good twists and, and ideas start flowing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so true that writing, writing what you're not going to use, I think can often be an important step for like finding the the thing that you are going to use. 
Yeah, I've come to terms with that. I've got some friends like I know um, when I interviewed Cynthia, she said that she does a lot of her plotting in her head and she doesn't like to write until she is quite sure what it's going to be because she hates deleting. Whereas I know you've, um, you know, Naomi, um, mm-hmm. she, she sort of writes a bit by discovery like me and sometimes sets off into a book with even less of an idea than I do. And <laughs> I find that quite, ex- I know some people hear that and think that's terrifying, but I find that exciting. Whereas Melissa, well, Iver, who, who you also know, she, plots everything out in incredible detail and I just think it's so fascinating that we all have got to a finished book that you know I think are all great books um but just come at it from completely different directions yeah exactly it's writing such a personal thing and it's all about figuring out the thing that works for you right yeah definitely how about you Jamie I feel like I asked you this last time but I can't (laughs) remember what your answer was oh ever-changing my answer is ever I I feel like I'm uh, the thing I'm writing at the moment I'm working very hard to to plot and pl- plot it more than I've plotted anything before. This is partly because I decided to write a heist, and I realised that oh, heist okay. should be plotted. Uh, <laughs> you probably can't pants that. No, you'll end up with some people in some very strange places that you haven't <laughs> yeah. planned out properly, and like weapons and things that are being stolen. You you need to track all those objects really carefully, don't you? Exactly. Yeah, it would be chaotic. So I'm trying that out, and I'm actually really liking it at the moment. Just having a very kind of thought out plan. Mia, how do you approach it? Plotter or Panzer? Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. I am mainly plotter with a dash of panther. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, need to know how my novel begins. I need to know how it ends. And I need to know the main beats I'm going to hit along the way. Um, But sometimes I'll start writing and I'll decide to take the scenic path instead. So (laughs) I still have the potential for surprises, which excites me. And, you know, like Amy said, I think one of the joys of writing are those moments of discovery where it suddenly occurs to you as you're writing it. And those moments just feel like magic, really. Uh, but the rest of it is is plotted. <laughs> okay, okay. So you're, you're, you're closer to the sort of, what do they call it, he- headlight um, headlight planning or, or something, where you can, y- yeah. you you see, you know where the thing you're headed to is, but you don't know what's between you and the... Yes, yes, absolutely. So I'll have, you know, the beginning, the end, I'll have the main points along the way, but I don't know which way we're going to get to those points. <laughs> yes, exactly. The journey is the That's interesting. I've never heard that term before. I'm definitely not that in the last two Mina books. I didn't know who the killer was when I started writing or I thought I did. And then somebody else told me that they were the killer. And I'm like, that's so rude. You're not the killer. Go away. But they convinced me that they were. So, so yeah, I changed my mind on both of them, which I think hopefully is good. I really surprised my editor with this one, um, who the killer was. And I think it was because I'd gone back and forth so many times on who it was that there's loads of red herrings everywhere. So yeah. hopefully that makes for a better mystery. I'm really excited to read this one. I think I may yeah, have read, I think, I read an early draft of it. I think you might have read the opening scene. I don't think you've read much more of this one. Um, I'm going to send you it some part, actually. When it's a bit better, I'll send you it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, if if you as the author didn't know who the killer was while you were writing it, I think it, it must be very hard for anyone reading it to guess who the killer is. 
I hope so. <laughs> I pride myself on that. I think that's really, I, I don't know. I think I can still enjoy a mystery if I know where it's going. Like sometimes I think I think I predict it and then I'm right and I can still enjoy it. But I love it when people send me a message and say, I can't believe you did that. Like that really <laughs> shocked me. That That's just brilliant. And um, in two places on this one, Ren, my editor wrote, Amy, no. And I was like, I can't, I can't wait for people. And I think she wrote at one point, I've been especially brutal in this book. And I, I was like, that's the biggest compliment anyone can give me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Let's start with Mia this time. What, oh, no. uh, when, you, when, you, when you write your novels, when you're starting out in your novels, what is usually the first part of your story? For example, do you start with the character or the setting or a magic system or, or whatever it might be? I start with my setting. I know a lot of people start with plot or characters, but I always go for setting. If I'm completely honest, I go for the vibes first. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I'll be describing a new idea to my agent and I'll be like, oh, if it was a color palette, it would be this or it would be set in this city or this country. But I won't know, you know, which characters are going to be in the story or what's actually going to happen in the story. I just have a feeling I want to capture. Okay, that's cool. I think... Of the people I've asked, setting is one of the rarer things that people start with. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. I think that my main strength as an author are my my settings. <laughs> Maybe okay. that's why they come first. Yeah. Well, you you do a lot of um, historical settings and uh, retail, fairy tale retellings. So that's the kind of I guess fairy tale is kind of a setting, and you're so the kind of merging of those two things. It's it's a pretty um, it's a pretty pivotal part of your stories, isn't it? Absolutely. And one of my main hobbies um, is traveling. So I think maybe a sense of place is more important to me or I take more notice of it, maybe. Oh, that's cool. I like that. And Amy, <laughs> I think from last time, I remember you saying that you start with character. Yeah, I mean, I with the Mina books, it was the setting that was the initial impetus. But I don't think a story really takes off for me until I figure out the characters. The same with the house with teeth. I knew there was a house. I was like, why does it have teeth? That's gross and weird. Um, but it wasn't until I thought it wasn't until I thought about the people to populate it that it feels real to me. So I think, like Mia, the setting is the first spark, and then. With the Mina books, I went back and forth on characters and I didn't know if it was going to be an adult book or YA or what it was. But as soon as I thought of those two sisters who had a bit of a fragmented relationship and wanted to try and rebuild it, um, that was when it started to take off and feel like a book. And the same as The House with Teeth, Violet came immediately and I couldn't figure out who this other character was going to be that she needed to bounce off. Um, And then when I did, the plot took off from there. So I think it tends to go setting closely followed by character and that's the bit that really flushes it out for me. Yeah. That's okay. So you're both, you're both setting Amy sort of setting, leaning into character. Yeah. Yeah. I think okay. so. Great for short stories. I think starting with setting because so much of a short story is the atmosphere because a lot of the time you don't, you don't have the sort of um, length of time to, to really do like a, a wide big character arc. So a lot of it does just come from the setting. Well, that's very true. Yeah, you don't get as much bonding time with your characters. So yeah, it counts for a lot. I never thought about it that way. <laughs> no, and actually quite a, lot, quite a lot of our stories are very limited in setting as well. So the setting has to work pretty hard. If, if your characters aren't going to leave this quite confined place that you've put them in, 
like say in Catherine's book, they're not trapped where they are, but they they're sort of in a very close circumference. So I think I really enjoyed writing the short story because it felt more contained. It felt a bit easier to manage. I always get to a point where my novel, I don't know whether you do this me, but I start to feel really out of control. And it's like, oh my gosh, I've set off all these things and I need to sort them out now. Um, and, and it's really stressful, that first stage of editing for me when I've made a mess that I need to tidy up. That makes sense. That that brings me nicely into the the the, the, the third question that I had for you guys, which was, and, and Amy, we can go straight off the back of that answer this. Do you prefer the initial sort of writing phase or do you prefer the editing phase i've got two very niche bits i really like i like that first moment of starting to write right at the beginning when it's all exciting and new and fresh and i'm not bogged down by the fifty thousand words or whatever i've written the beginning i love and i also love the bit i'm on now where the book's basically done and i'm just refining and making sure that everything's really tight i'm, I'm quite um a kind of perfectionist nitpicky person and i like every thread to be tied up when I'm writing. So I think the very beginning and the very end are my favorites. The middle oh, is yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah, the tricky <laughs> middle bit. What about you, Mia? The middle is hard. I have a really weird sort of drafting process. Um, Amy can <laughs> attest to this where my first drafts are basically half draft, half outline. And there'll be whole chapters that are just bullet points, whole chapters missing, very, very low word count. And then I just sort of build on it and flesh it out. Um, so I think my favorite point is honestly any time when the words are flowing and I feel like what I'm writing is good and I'm getting really into it. I feel like I can get stuck at any point of the process. And that's that's just no fun. <laughs> okay, that's cool. So you're very much into the uh, additive editing where you write sort of um, very succinctly and then you add to it as opposed to writing a lot and then cutting back on it. Yeah, that's absolutely what I do. That's absolutely what I do. And I think if you look at most of my books, my original rough draft is probably still buried in the middle of it in bits and pieces. And I've just gone around it and fleshed it out and built on it rather than having to rewrite or cut back. Yeah, that's really cool. I I I, I always think there's something just more positive about uh, additive editing. Yes, yes. Um, so I do find that it does tend to make drafting, sort of doing later drafts and editing myself easier. Um, but I do have that panic at the beginning where it's like, oh, I have my first draft written. Oh, but it's only 20,000 words. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say though, I tried it, Mia, and it really does work. There are always a couple of scenes that I'm really nervous to write in the Mina books. And it's always the action ones where there's like your book, Jamie, when there's lots of moving parts, I get really nervous. Mm -hmm. And it was so freeing to write this is a X scene, it's going to have these details in, this person's nearly going to die, this person's actually going to die, move on. <laughs> and it was so fun. And, and literally, I didn't want to write that scene. And when I actually felt in the mood, I just went back and wrote it. And I really loved that. But I am, I'm more of a write it chronologically. It kind of comes out about the length it ends up, because I do, I remove things and add things um, and move them around. But generally, my, like my draft's about um, 87,000 words and I think that's probably about how the book will be at the end wow that's, that's amazing yeah <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> but like you said Jamie the downside of it though is that sometimes I do need to cut a whole scene and mm -hmm. or completely rewrite it or but I've kind of come to terms with that this is my process and it's quick enough for me to hit my deadlines and 
I enjoy it enough. I, I'm not generally tearing my hair out too much. My only problem is time, really. I've got generally two hours a day in which to write from the, you know, between the hours of 7 and 9 p.m., which is not ideal for my brain working. Um, yeah. So that that's my only hiccup, really, with writing. I, I tend to find the process pretty smooth apart from that. Yes, it's always a risk. I think, Amy, in a few years, when you when your little one's a little bit older, you're, when you as soon as you have more time, you're going to be churning out all these epic <laughs> novels. You're so, <laughs> using that sliver of time so effectively. I just think I hope so. Although my friend, um, so I my book, um, my first book came out when Nathan was a tiny baby, and my friend did a similar thing with her doctorate. She was working on her doctorate while her children were small and she said to me that time poor people are the most efficient so I do worry that the more time rich I get the less efficient I'll be like I'll spend the whole day and go oh I've just watched Netflix today whereas <laughs> I've got an hour I know I need to pack everything into that hour yeah. I can confirm I'm less efficient <laughs> <laughs> I think it's true having having like a sort of full-time thing to do really uh really focuses your your lens for when you do come to sit down to do writing or whatever you know the, the hobby that you want to pursue is yeah and that's the thing for me writing is just starting to feel like a career it definitely started as a hobby when the first Mina book came out you know I was with a small publisher quite a small advance um it's it felt like a career but like a small part of it whereas now I'm edging towards I'm gonna have four books out by next year so yeah. it starts to feel like you know that is my main career and my actual day job is like the kind of secondary now <laughs> Don't tell your boss at your day job. <laughs> I think I think he probably knows <laughs> that my my real love my, he knows my real love is writing and I, I do enjoy my job. Um, but I only work two days now, so it feels like you know being a mom, then being an author, then having a day job. It's mm -hmm. sort of that order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. You're at the phase where the the writing is starting to feel less like your sort of side hustle and more like your main thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why I'm working towards it being my actual hustle, yeah. <laughs> my full hustle. Um, awesome. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And it's really interesting chatting to you guys and hearing your different kind of ways of approaching uh, stories and stuff, whether that's the same or where it differs. And that brings us to what is always the final question uh, of the podcast. Amy, you've already answered this. Uh, I'll ask Maria and then give her a bit of time by jumping back to Amy to checking that you, you don't want to change your answer. And the question is, as always, uh, Amy and Maria, if you were stranded on a desert island, with a single book, which book would you want it to be? Last time, Amy, you chose Alex Garland. Alex Garland's *The Beach*. Um, spe more specifically, the book, but you did like the film, but you preferred the book. Is that still the one you'd go with? Yeah. Do you know what? As you're asking the question, I panicked and thought I can't remember what I said. But if I'm <laughs> going to say anything, I'll say *The Beach* by Alex Garland. Okay. So it must still be my answer because I just think it has genius survival advice in it about being on a beach sort of environment, an island environment, as well as being a great book and still be one of my favourites. I feel like it has a dual purpose. Like I, could, <laughs> I still can read that book over and over again, but it also might help me survive. Yeah, I think. It's a solid choice. Um, and as you say, yeah, com combining a sort of literary aspect and story with oh, also they're surviving on an island, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it would be exactly the same, but I'm sure there'd be some transferable skills. Now, Mia, what, what do you think? If you, could choose, if you could have one book stranded on this desert island, which would it be? Oh, I hate this question so much. hard. <laughs> <laughs> So first I was thinking, oh, that's really smart for Amy to say the beach. Should I say something that's kind of like, you know, Robinson Crusoe or something like that? But then I was like, 
well, but am I really going to want to read that again and again and again? I like it, but not enough if that's my only book. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really impossible to answer. I genuinely <laughs> No idea. I can't pick just one. Can I take like a notebook and a pen instead and, you know, write my own story? If I've got a lot of time to spare, maybe I can just, you know, come up with a massive fantasy epic with all that time just sitting there on the sand. (laughs) (laughs) You can absolutely take a a pad of paper and write your own story if that's what you would like to do. Uh, to be clear, I'm not saying that my story would be better than other books. Um, I'm just, you know, thinking practically of how to use my time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you could like take notes as well, because you, if you needed to like note down different parts of the island and things, you could think really practically about it. Oh, I could draw maps. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Get into cartography. <laughs> I feel like this is a little bit of a cop out answer, but you're very kindly letting me go along with it. So. <laughs> Well, you're not the first person who's wanted to take their own take a take their own like pad or whatever notepad. Oh no! Oh no! I'm less original than I thought. Well, <laughs> I think yeah, that no one will be as original as uh, Melissa Welliver's answer, which was that she wanted to take the Argos catalog. So don't worry oh about it. Oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> but the physical Argos catalog, not the new like they have mach- they're all machines now. She wanted the, but the old physical one, ones yeah. were the ones we had fun with when we were kids, kind of exactly, searching yeah. all the toys we wanted. Yeah, all the pages stuck together when they're like laminated yeah. and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I can still smell it in my, in my memory. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know if you want to be smelling that. No, no, just like a nice catalogy smell. I don't know. I guess I've always been sniffing books and apparently catalogs. <laughs> okay well what a what a wonderful note to end the episode on um thank you so much uh to to the both of you amy and mia for for coming on and and telling us all about uh, a taste of darkness and the anthology and how that all works as well as kind of what you guys are up to and how you how you kind of approach your your writing and stuff it's been really cool chatting with the two of you oh thanks so much jamie for having us on yeah thank you for having us it's been great fun And for anyone wanting to keep up with what Amy and Mia are doing, you can follow Amy on Twitter and Instagram at YA Under My Skin, on TikTok at Amy McCaw Author, and on YouTube you can find her as Amy McCaw. You can find Mia on Twitter at The Cozy Reader or on Instagram and TikTok at Cozy Reads. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow along on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and Facebook. You can support the show on Patreon and for more bookish chat, check out my other podcast, The Chosen Ones and Other Tropes. Thanks again to Amy and Mia and thanks to everyone listening We'll catch you on the next episode. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.